Hello and welcome everybody to this week's Start Somewhere podcast hosted by me, Sarah Vaughan for Marie Claire. I'm really starstruck by this week's guest. I've always wanted to, to talk to her and now I get that opportunity. My guest is um, in the Fast Company League of Extraordinary Women. President Barack Obama praised her passion for engaging and mobilizing citizens in social change. She is, of course, Maria Eitel, the founding CEO and chairman of the Nike Foundation and the Girl Effect. And I have to admit, I'm wearing my Nikes in honor of this. So, <laughs> so Maria, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. How are you? Doing? Absolutely fantastic. And I'm equally excited to meet you, Sarah, and really look forward to our conversation today. And Maria, I would love to hear, as you know, how you got started out in life. And I know that you had a fascinating start. Where did you grow up? What did you want to do? Well, I was not one of those people who knew exactly where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. I was uh, someone who went to college and couldn't even decide what to major in. I wasn't sure about what path to take. But I did, I did find a path that is very easy now to look back and say, oh, I see exactly why I did those things and to see the threads. But of course, at the time, I didn't see those threads at all. I just started doing one thing and then another. But I uh, took a course in um, TV production my, uh, in, in college. And it was just so fun. We got to be everything. They had a real TV studio. We got to be the news anchor and the cameraman and the lighting person and control the audio board. And I just fell in love with it. I thought, oh my gosh, that is absolutely the most fun a person could have. I can't believe you could get a job doing that. So um, (laughs) I determined that I was gonna get an internship with the public broadcasting station in Seattle, KCTS9. And so I very diligently did my research and I found out who would be the producer. And I wrote a letter to Barry Mitzman telling him about how I wanted to come be an intern because I was so passionate about television. And I was devastated when I received a return letter saying that they didn't have internships and so sorry. And I I was like, wait a second. Uh, So obviously what I did is when I got home to Seattle, I went to McGill University in Montreal. When I got home to Seattle, I decided I don't care if he says they don't have internships, I'm going anyway. So I went to KCTS9 and I showed up and I told the receptionist that I had an appointment with Barry Mitzman, um, that I was here, that I was Maria Idol and I had come from McGill University and I was ready for my internship. And she was, okay, sure. So she, she called and she said, Barry, Barry Maria Idol's here for her internship. And, and he obviously, I couldn't hear on the line said, tell her to go away. We don't have any internships. And, uh, so uh, I asked her to please, uh, to please tell him again I was here for the, for the internship. So she hangs up. He must have said something. And so he comes out to see me and he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I said, well, I'm here because I'm here for the effort to have an internship. I know you said you didn't have them, but look, I'm really willing to do whatever it takes, like coffee, make copies. Just, just, I'll just be right here. And then when you need me, you just ask for me. And if you don't have anything for me to do, it's no problem. I brought a book. I'll just sit here in the lobby. 
And so he's like, <laughs> he was like, he literally threw up his hands and was like, whatever. And he went back to work. And I sat in the lobby the rest of the day. Of course, I was there on Monday morning, you know, right when they opened. And uh, I sat there and I read my book. And, um, you know, he popped his head out, head out a couple of times, didn't say anything. And then it was the end of the, end of the day and I went home. And I was like, well, okay, that was a step forward. Uh, and then I went back. The next day, he he came into work and he's like, you again. And I'm like, yeah, me again. And I said, I'm still here to help with anything. And then I, I just started reading again. And um, the third day, I came back. And you were reading like Dostoevsky's word. Yeah, exactly. War and peace. War and peace. Absolutely. This is a you know, <laughs> tediously long process. So then I, I the third day, I was sitting there reading and Barry came out and he kind of threw over to me a pile of papers and then the copiers over there. And, um, and why don't you get us a couple of coffees, you know, and gave me some money to go get coffee. So I, of course, like, yes. Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. So I went and made the coffees and I mean, sorry, I went and made the copies and went and got the coffee. And then it sort of just literally one day, you just kept giving me more. Pretty soon I was doing research and, you know, basically made myself indispensable. Like anybody who wanted anything. Now, anybody, if you have someone around like that, people are going to ask you to do stuff. So pretty soon I could, was like completely busy. And I worked for one of the reporters who was particularly not that excited about her job anymore. And so I was like, this is my best opportunity. So I did all her pre-interviews and I did all the research and I got everything set up and I got to go along for the interviews and learn how to ask the questions and the lighting and whatever. And so one day she was sick. And um, so, of course, there I was in Barry's office. So I was like, Barry, <laughs> what about I get to do the stories today myself um, because she's not here and I can do it. And he's like, all right go ahead. And so I went out and I reported a couple of stories. And um, after that, I had my, I got to just do my own stories. And um, so that, that got me on a path. Uh, that was my first uh, step. Uh, oh God, a masterclass in how to get an internship. Look at that. That's how I got my start. <laughs> but so, so my start and most of my steps in my career had that quality to it. I will tell you, um, most things did. I did not fall into anything. I was not the student who like read the textbook and then did the test the next morning. No problem. I'm the person who had to do all all the work to just pass the class. So anyway, that became um, you know sort of a pattern for me of uh, that would that would play out over time. But but the thing that I was really focused on was education and injustice the channel was a pub, you know like a you know like the bbc or public broadcasting and i wanted to educate i wanted to tell people stories and help them and make their lives better and what that eventually turned into was me actually wanting to do the making the lives better not telling the story but actually doing that so later on when i was determining the focus of the nike foundation i wanted to focus on injustice and what was the biggest problem in the world at the time was I, I could see that girls and women were not having their full participation in, in life and in, in, in the world, and they were losing 50% of the world's talent. So that easy to say, oh, I had this purpose. I knew I was going to focus on adolescent girls. and it, it came from many steps that, 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 uh, uh, along a journey that do have a thread in retrospect, but certainly not from the start, starting point. 
And and then after this job, I mean, you ended up in the White House. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I won't tell you another story about persistence, but there was another one where I, I called someone for three months solid every day until they finally returned my message, which did result in me um, ending up at the White House. Uh, for to, this was before there was maternity leave. And so I ended up uh, uh, filling in for someone who was using their sick leave to go out and have a baby and come back. But then they, they ended up thinking I was pretty competent at what I did. And then I ended up um, being offered a job there and then ended up by multiple things happening, uh, people leaving. And I ended up the head of the Office of Media Affairs and a commissioned officer to the president. Um, and really, I mean, that happened just because um, it's the same theme. I, I just get in there and just start adding value, you know, just like there's always a place to add value. There's always something that you can do to make the situation better, whether it's getting somebody their lunch or or doing a deep piece of research that takes you hours and hours to find that one thing that's needed or um, just being the person, you know, at, at the White House when I was there, just the person who just got on top of everything, just got it done. And and then people come to know you for your just dependability and your kind of drive to do always more. I always I've always coached young people like do more, like find that extra thing that you can do that makes you remarkable, makes you amazing, make you stand out because everyone is remarkable. There's no person that you will interview on your podcast. Obviously, those are people who are distinguished, but even people who are not distinguished, they're extraordinary. They may just not have expressed that talent uh, in the world yet. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think we all have so much unlimited potential and, and, and I, I, you know, I love what you're saying. And, and also, I mean, one of my guiding principles in life is like, how can I be helpful, you know, and really look at these situations more and what can I do to, 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 to improve them or, or add them in whatever way I can, you know, and, and uh, I feel that, you know, for me, that's a very kind of helpful kind of mindset for sure. And then you ended up in, in, in Nike. How, how did Nike come about? Did, 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 did you kind of run around outside their office or, <laughs> or do you like a thousand star jumps, seen <laughs> that kind of thing? Out there with a, you know, doing pull-ups and impressing them with, yeah, no. Uh, actually, <laughs> the, Nike, the Nike job, I love that image. I would have, of course, I would have, you know, I, I'd be willing to go that far. Um, uh, seriously, I, I actually was called by a headhunter for that, for that uh, being recruited to Nike. So that one was easy then. <laughs> yeah, this one was a lot easier to get started. Um, so they, they recruited me to the company and, uh, uh, you know, I, I kind of fell in love with the people. When I interviewed at Nike uh, in Portland, Oregon, I met they had me set up for back-to-back -back interviews all day long for three days. And I just, I just loved everybody I met. I thought, oh, I just want to spend time with these people. They're cool human beings and this company does great things. So it was just a very easy decision in the end uh, to join that team. And then I just had this, such a unique opportunity to create the Nike Foundation and then the focus that we would have I mean, wow, what, what, what an opportunity. Even now I look back and go, I didn't even realize at the time how, how exciting that was. You know, I set up corporate responsibility, our environmental sustainability, our corporate governance, and our 
um, our giving. And that was just an exciting opportunity to be on the front edge of that. And the, the ability to be able to determine the focus of the Nike Foundation was an amazing journey of the same kind of persistence, but for a different outcome, as I thought, my God, so much responsibility to determine the focus of a corporate foundation that will last for years and years. And so, as usual, I took it to heart and I basically asked everyone I knew, what would you focus on if you if you got to start the Nike Foundation? So I could be in a taxi or sitting in a doctor's waiting room. Or- I really think those are the best conversations other than these ones I'm so lucky to have, but they are just brilliant. I love them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I got, I received so many insights from that. And then I also had the gift of getting to talk to Nobel Laureate economists and women's historians and, and all kinds of interesting people. And what kept happening, I've always found in life that when you really delve into something that you'll start to see a pattern and the pattern I started to see and the drive, you talked about your drive of wanting to help people. My drive was seeing the the waste of human potential when people didn't get to be the person that they dreamed of being. And that literally broke my heart just on a, on a, on a looking around my life as I grew up, the people in my life uh, around my family and, uh, and community. But when I, as I had done my work, I was so conscious about large pockets or large populations that don't get to realize their potential. Right. And so then my personal experience played into this, which is, you know, I grew up in a Greek uh, German immigrant family, uh, father German, mother Greek, and we were very traditional uh, and Greek Orthodox. And I lived in a world where boys did get a, a different status than girls and opportunities. Um, I wanted to be an altar boy or a priest or a chanter or a reader or something in the church, but it was like, no, those are not, those are not roles for girls. So, you know, it, it wasn't, at the time, I didn't think of, of it because it was just, that was just reality. But um, as I was looking around and listening to all these people share what they thought the Nike Foundation could focus on, I started to see this lack of opportunity for girls, particularly to have a chance as they went through adolescence. And I saw this incredibly tragic, falling off that occurs like as a girl comes into puberty and becomes a woman, so many things can go wrong. And so what if you could get her before that happened? What if you got her before she was HIV positive, pregnant, married, burdened with a family that she couldn't take care of with health, con- health issues for herself? Um, what if you could get ahead of that and actually help that girl have her, you know, get married when she's ready, have a child when she's ready, complete her education, determine her her path as a profession and be able to live her potential fully. Not only would that be better for her, it'd be better for her family because she'd bring more into the family and not be a burden. And she'd bring more into her community and her country by, I don't know, becoming the president, becoming a pilot, becoming, um, you know, a legal, you know, a a litigator, whatever that she might, might do. So I was then on fire about this idea because um, I felt like we could have enormous impact in the world, in the world. So the early start out of the box of the Nike Foundation was to focus on adolescent girls in poverty, which we call the girl effect, which is to unleash a girl's potential on the world. And today we reach some 20 million girls and have put, we worked with our first two goals were get girls on the global agenda, drive massive resources to them. Uh, and that's what that, that's what we've done. 
which is which is extraordinary and 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 so admirable and and the impact of doing so is just astonishing and and i mean you know this is hard work doing this i mean i think you know you and i come from from if you like very you know future facing you know countries you know let's face it but you know in a lot of the developing world this is very very real i mean so do do, do you want to share a kind of a, a, a few insights or maybe some of the girls that you helped and and, and their stories and, and and just you know expand on that a little there are many girls there's so many girls stories that i carry with me and they never leave leave you once you once you've met um these girls and uh, one particular girl I met was named Kidon in Ethiopia. Uh, and we spent the day with her, you know, as she went and got water and she made the food and she took care of her younger siblings. And I mean, it was an exhausting day. We started with her when she woke up and, you know, the, the, we were, we were videoing her story, which is, which you can see on the girl effect website. But when she, uh, I just fell in love with her. We all fell in love with her as we spent the day with her because she was like the student in the class where you go, oh, this person has so much light and she's just going to do great things in the world. And she told us she wanted to be a doctor. And um, I thought, oh, gosh, it's so great because there's no medical care in this area and she'll become a doctor. And and, uh, and then I interviewed her mother and talked to her mother and um, I said, oh, you must be so proud of your daughter. She's going to become a doctor this is you know you come from an area where there are no doctors and and the mother sort of um looked at me and she said Kidon will not become a, a doctor uh she's already betrothed she will be married soon oh and um and I just felt I just felt like someone knocked me over I was completely gutted because it just showed me um uh, how impossible the cycle of poverty is for girls and when they are the plumbing system carrying water the the child care system taking care of their siblings the health care system providing care there's no way the economy of poverty depends on the girl and so those individual stories became the insights and those girls live on in the insights that we then created as an organization which is you, you have to get a girl to be able to get over these barriers. Education's not enough. It's great that she's in school, but she might have to drop out the minute another child is born and her family to take care of it. She might be in school, but is having to trade sex for grades because the, the, the teacher is putting her in this abusive uh, cycle that she cannot escape. So we have to figure out how to remove multiple barriers for her and create opportunities. But the biggest one, and Sarah, this is one of the insights that came as we, as we continued our work, was as we thought, okay, education, health, reproductive health, particularly, economic opportunity, safety. And we, these are sort of the categories, we call them yep. verticals in, in development, as you know so well. Um, but that we thought, how much does she need of each and savings and dosage and duration? We got really consumed with it. And then I went to see a program in on the Lake District in Ethiopia, sorry, Kenya, where girls had to have sex with the fishermen to get food for their family. And that was just an inescapable cycle. You know, if, if she didn't do that, then her family wasn't going to eat. So you had to do that. And it was some of the HIV rates in the world. So a completely horrific um, situation. And I went to visit the project 
when we were well into it and we were super excited about how successful it was. We had gotten pumps that they can do by like a bicycle pump to pump water and to we they had gardens where they were growing food and and they had goats and they were everything on the on paper looked fabulous but then I sat with the girls and I thought, oh gosh it's so great you don't have to do this anymore you can just um grow the the crops and have plenty of food etc and the girls looked at me and they said no of course we still have to do that that's just the way it is in our community and uh, and that was also a devastating moment. But the, the, the de- most devastating moments are the, the moments of greatest learning uh, in every part of your life, of course. But in that moment was the insight that you had to change the thinking if you were going to change the outcomes. And so it wasn't good enough to like build a school or have a reproductive health program. But you had to change the mindset of the girls themselves and the, the community around her. So we, we called it Ignite Her, Transform Her World. She's got to believe, no, I don't need to do this. And then she's got to also believe that she has the potential. And then the community has to know that. So you can't solve girls' problems by just giving them something. You have to feed, You have to look at the ecosystem around them. And when we do girl programming, this is so important. You have to build the, the girding, the architecture that ensures her success. And you, Sarah, did not make it from in your in your life with by one thing. You didn't just get education, or you weren't just taken to the doctor and taken care of. You got all, some amount of all of those things, even if you had some things that weren't uh, sufficient. You had enough to succeed and become the great person that you are today. Thank you. <laughs> but but yes, you're 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 so right. And this ecosystem is so important because. As, as you described, these young girls otherwise have these great dreams, which just get completely kind of it was sat on <laughs> and exploded by, 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 by the community. So in terms of, you know, addressing that and going forward, you know, with this amazing program, how effective has, is, is, is that being now in, in, in terms of really reaching the wider communities and, and kind of readapting and re-educating them to, to really seeing the the extraordinary value in the women and girls in their community. Well, what's what's exciting about the girl effect is we have a C, CEO named Jess Posner Odede, who is truly extraordinary and someone you might want to consider uh, having this conversation with as well. Um, she, um, she is the CEO of Girl Effect and she is taking it to new levels. Um, she's uh, ambitious in the right way, which I love. You have to work, work hard for, for getting things on the really the right path that takes you to the next level. And so that's why I'm highlighting the importance of her leadership. And so she is, uh, the work is uh, pretty extraordinary. People can take a look at the website. As I said, we reach about 20 million girls, getting them to have access to what they need to succeed. And what's different about what Girl Effect does is there's so many different programs, is it tries to make other things successful, all girl programming successful. What you need is girls to get connected to the services they need. So uh, Girl Effect basically reaches the girls with the chatbot, answers questions, creates media examples of how your life could be different. So there's virtual role modeling. And then the connection to the service. So, okay, here's the story. I, I'm thinking, hmm, do I want to have sex with my boyfriend? He really is pushing. 
So then I can ask the chat chatbot, do I want to, you know, I don't know what to do. Then you go back and find, well, here's a clinic nearby you where you could go talk to someone and get information. Here's how to talk to your, and these are the kinds of questions you should ask. Da, 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 da. And then you're geolocating you to where that is. And then you would be able to go there and say, well, get birth control. You may still now decide not to have sex with your boyfriend, but at least you know how to protect yourself from STDs mm. and getting pregnant. So what's different about that model is it isn't like, here's a reproductive health program. Here's a clinic. Hello, is anybody going to come? You know, probably <laughs> not. Probably not. Because your girlfriend tells you or your boyfriend just, you know, just gets all excited or your girlfriend tells you something that's not even accurate. So the idea is that the girl effect really connects, um, connects to serve, connects girls to services by inspiring them and educating them and helping them see what they can do to be successful along all fronts of their life. Which not is amazing. One. And, and, and I love that kind of role modeling and actually they can really put themselves, do you know what I mean, in the shoes of and they can actually vision a different future because that's very hard to do when your community have only gone, you know, lived traditionally and gone, gone, gone one way. I mean, to, to break out of these years and years of conditioning, you know, is, 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 is extremely courageous, let's face it. Yes, it is. And, and what, what we're really concerned about is, there's always the girl who will break through and succeed and who will, will, but, but this is about all girls succeeding, not just a few, what we used to call tall poppies, which are the pretty, which are ones that are some extraordinary luck or, or ability. Um, and even those, when they start to come up like Kedon can often be cut. So the, the goal of Girl Effect is that it's about all girls having access um, and ultimately every girl having access to what she needs when she needs where she needs it which I just love and and, 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 and I'm so in love with the program and, and what it does and I, it, it, it's just astonishing and 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 you know it, it really kind of warms my heart so you know thank you for for all you and the team are, are, are doing that and I also just wanted to to ask you I mean like you know, a, a, a bit about Time's Up and how you you you, you got involved. Because, I mean, you know, these issues, you know, do happen, <laughs> you know, all over the world. And, and 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 just wanted you to kind of share a little bit about about what happened, you know, around the Me Too movement and, and how you got involved in that as well. Sure, absolutely. Well, that happened because um, well, I have uh, colleagues and friends who, when the crisis around um, the first case happened, um, called me to help moderate a conversation among all the very the most powerful women in Hollywood, which was one of the most amazing things I've ever done in my life. And what what we, what we were able to do in those early days were, were, was have a conversation where all voices were heard, and then focus on some very simple goals like the. The, the the Oscars and all, all of them, you know, dressing in solidarity. And then the formation of the Legal Defense Fund, which is was incredibly important because we were so adamant that this wasn't just about women in Hollywood. This was about women who work as janitors at night in big office buildings or in hotels where their, their exposure is just absolutely... Uh, extraordinary that they need those jobs. Those are one-on-one -on -one situations where they'll never win 
in, in a, you know, raising their voice and possibly lose their job and they're feeding their family. So it was critical in the early days of Time's Up. We really uh, worked so hard to ensure this wasn't just about the movie stars and the, and, and the, the, the sort mm-hmm. of the Hollywood, but this was about every single girl and woman on the planet who fa- finds herself in a situation where she's vulnerable and being exploited. Um, and so the Legal Defense Fund is was and remains one of the, the greatest uh, achievements of, of Time's Up. So, and, and, and now, you know, we see it, you know, as it evolves into the Black Lives Matters, uh, you know, movement, there is just change in the air in the world right now. It is very difficult, very disruptive, but out of all of this disruption, I'm very optimistic that it's gonna be a time where great things happen. And, and I just want to bring it, you know, kind of back to your audience and think about, like, what is it to be learned from all of this? And what, what do you do in the face of, of all these problems? Because um, they seem intractable and impossible. I remember when I first focused on the girl effect, I had argued it in front of the Nike board that we should focus on adolescent girls in poverty. And I was so focused on, on doing it. And, and I had prepared and... I was so exciting that they supported it. And I went back to my office and I was like, all right. And and at that time it was just myself and and my assistant forming the Nike foundation. And, and the two of us had just worked on this presentation so hard. (laughs) Okay. You got it. We're going to focus on adolescent girls in poverty. Like there's 250 million adolescent girls in poverty. (laughs) I sat down and went, I went like SAIT. I mean, like, how am I going to do this? I have no idea what I'm going to do. You know, like, like many of those problems who are facing many other social injustice issues. As, as you look at them, you just feel like there's, I don't know how I could take this on, but, but, but what happens is you just start taking the first step. And after the first step is the second step. So I was like, well, who knows about this issue? I'm going to call them. I called Gita Ragupta, who headed up the International Center for Research on Women. You know, who's, you know, and, and then another phone call and then another phone call. And then pretty soon I had, you know, it, it all happened. Um, but it only happened because of these, those individual steps. So I, I, I just think it's really important. I, I always don't like it when people say, oh, yes, I created this and we did this and we did all these things. And you're like, oh, gosh, what have I done? You know? You shouldn't feel that way. You should just feel like I can do this. I, if I just get going and try one thing and then the next thing and the next thing, and then something will occur over time. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, this is such a great tip. And obviously, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time. And, and, and I just love this message and advice to, to our listeners, which is this idea of real commitment and persistence, which you have in, in bucket loads. So, so yeah. really, I mean, you know, that's the invitation to, to everyone is, is really to, to commit and persist, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And take, and take the first step. Just take that first step because it'll take you to the next step. And, and if, if, it, if that hits a wall, it doesn't matter. Just take the next step the next day. And, yeah. and that's what persistence is. It's in the face of the failure, in the face of the frustration, in the face of the difficulty of the step that you take, particularly the first one. And the early steps are the hardest because you don't have momentum yet. But persistence is what you need to get to the point where momentum kicks in. So hang in there until you get momentum and then you've got persistence plus momentum and then that's when great things happen. 
Oh, what amazingly wonderful advice. And um, Maria, thank you so much for being here and for joining us. It's been so special. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Um, I wish you like the best of luck with, with all your extraordinary endeavors. And I, I also just want to just acknowledge just like how amazing women are, you know, like we work together, you know, we, 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 we hang in there together. We really think about broader goals and, 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 and outcomes. And I just want to applaud you for, for really being catalyst of, of, of such extraordinary things. And, and, and thank you for everything you're doing in the world. Well, thank you, Sarah. Just been a, a joy, and I'm so so. I was so excited to meet you. It was a beautiful conversation, and yes, there are so many great ways that women together do wonderful things in the world. And this has just been a wonderful conversation with you. I admire everything that you're doing.